Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Zach Crawley to my Alistair Cook. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, I, I, guessing from the look on your face, I, I guess you have no idea what that reference is because you don't watch cricket. No, I don't watch cricket. I have no idea what you're talking about. No, basically Zach Crawley is England's opener at the moment and he is pretty useless. How are you, Justin? How was your Christmas? It's, you know what, it was quite a nice Christmas. It, we had to isolate, which was frustrating, but it was a blessing in disguise because all I did was eat chocolate and watch Lord of the Rings. So I enjoyed it. It was really good. That's basically Christmas in a nutshell, isn't it? Um, <laughs> you, you had to isolate. I had COVID, unknowingly to me. I had COVID for the last two episodes that we've done. So there you go, it's going around. At the you moment. hear I, it. I am a trooper, aren't I? You could probably tell because I had a bit more of a husky voice. And what the listener wouldn't be able to tell is I had to cut out all the <laughs> coughing I was doing when you were talking. But well done to you for staying professional and <laughs> sticking to your task when uh, we were doing those episodes and I was having coughing fits hanging onto my life for uh, whatever it's worth. Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are on the show today. We're going to go through the Boxing Day games and the games from the day after in the championship. Of course, a reduced schedule because of you-know-what. So only four games for us to discuss. We'll go through them Talk about some of the news from the past few days, including the latest chaos on the fixture schedule with you know what. And then we'll finish off with a game at the end. But before that, this show is sponsored by the Skybet EFL Rewards app, the app which rewards you for being a fan of a team in the best league in the world. Christmas may be over, but there's still plenty of presents you can get just by predicting as many correct results as possible on the Skybet EFL Rewards app. You can win Puma EFL match balls, codes for Football Manager 2022, and the cost of a season ticket at your club. Fancy getting your hands on these prizes, all you've got to do is download the app, play the predictor game, and select win, lose, or draw across the games this weekend. And Skybet EFL Rewards will be rewarding winners who predict the most correct results. This is the best bit. It's absolutely free, so you may as well download it now, might you? You can find a link to the app in the description of this episode, so do it now. We'll kick things off with a shock at Pride Park. Derby beating West Brom 1-0. The goal coming after a clangor between Sam Johnston and Cedric Kipre. Justin, you're out the game. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sure that gives you much more of an insight into what on earth those two are trying to do at that particular moment. It was bizarre, wasn't it? Um, it seemed to happen in slow motion as well. The fact that the ball was such a lofted ball from from uh, Ryan Alsop in the Derby goal, and um, it seemed to bounce a couple of times, and then it just seemed to, they were under under no pressure. Kipre and Johnston, Johnston was coming out outside of his area bizarrely. He could have stayed in the area and waited for the ball to to come into his hands or from Kipre, and then Kipre was completely. Um, unknowingly heading it into Johnson who was about a foot away from him why was Johnson so close to him is what I want to know this is a goalkeeper who's got international caps for England and um, he's dropped a clangor badly there and I think Kipre is also to blame as well but it's such a bizarre goal but a good finish because it wasn't the best of surfaces I think um, for uh, Collingsley Richards to hit it first time but he did that and he found the net yeah, it, it was a decent finish, to be fair, to CKR, but <clears throat> you're absolutely right. I mean, Johnston, why has he come out of his box? He has no need whatsoever to come mm. out of his box. So you could maybe have a debate about who was at fault, but for me, it's Sam Johnston every day of the yeah. week. I don't think Kipre had a clue that Johnston was that close to him. It was just a really bad time to start playing head tennis, really, wasn't it? So, uh, yeah, it was a really strange one, but uh, from the game as a whole, 
obviously being there. Justin, what did you think of it? I think it, it was obviously a scrappy game. I think how Rooney set his teams up to play Valerian Ishmael, Valerian Ishmael's side um, the past three times now is he's matched them formation-wise and he's matched them style-wise and he's made the game really, really ugly. It wasn't a pretty game to watch. It was frankly quite terrible. Um, but I think that suited Derby better because West Brom couldn't really deal with the second balls. And uh, frankly, I was, I was really frustrated and disappointed with West Brom, um, even sitting in the stand as a Derby fan, because I felt there was much more to offer from their perspective. And they didn't. If I was a West Brom fan, I'd want my money back because that, that was, quite frankly, a terrible, terrible performance. Yeah, you're quite right in what you're saying about Rooney. Rooney has got Valerie Ishmael's number, hasn't he? Because mm-hmm. every time he's come up against him, he's not lost. And considering you've got two teams, obviously Barnsley were doing quite well last season, two teams at opposite ends of the table in three times they've met now, every time. Yeah. Rooney's come out um, with credit from it, hasn't it? So yeah, Rooney doing a fantastic job, as we all know, at Derby, especially considering the circumstances. And this was just another case of that. Sure, they were perhaps a bit lucky getting all three points, but uh, at the same time, uh, Rooney is just doing a fantastic job, isn't he? Uh, What did you think of the game from a West Brom perspective? Obviously, you're saying West Brom fans deserved their money back after that. I thought, and I know we sound like a bit of a broken record at this point, but if West Brom had a clinical striker, I think this could have been a very different result. You had the Robinson chance in the first half and then the Hugel chance in the second half, both golden opportunities. And if they hadn't have fallen to two strikers who are completely bereft of confidence at the moment, then it could have been a different story. Would you agree with that? You're quite right, but I was also I was really disappointed with West Brom in possession. I thought there was too many occasions where they were trying to play the ball in over the top, but they didn't have that type of striker. Carl and Grant is quite happy to play on the shoulder, but you had um, Dean Garner and Callum Robinson who liked the ball to feet, and they kept trying to play it in behind. Play it to their feet. You'll get the best out of them when you play it into their feet. And as well as that, the front three on a lot of occasions were too far away from each other, so they're not going to be able to put together any sort of exchange of passes to try and get in behind Derby. Now Derby, the greatest respect to them, had Curtis Davis, Richard Stearman and Craig Forsyth as a back three for the majority of the game. The combined age of that back three is nearly, it's over 100. It's over 100 years old. 34, 36 and 32, 33. Yeah, so, it is. Fair play. <laughs> look, if you're not exploiting that and getting in behind them and um, linking up with your uh, fellow attackers then frankly you don't win you don't deserve to win the game can't argue with that really can you I, I, one player really stood out for me as being really really poor for West Brom was Grady Dean Garner and I remember at the start of the season when I was criticising Dean Garner for how he was playing because he's been awful all season anti really mm, yeah. he's been by far the most disappointing player uh, this season because I thought obviously in the cha- in the Premier League last season he had a poor season, didn't he? And I thought maybe stepping down to the Championship again would get his confidence back and he'd be back to the Dean Garner that we all know and love. But he has been so, so poor. I know stuff has happened off the pitch uh, with him, but at the same time, I don't know why he keeps starting games because he's not offered anything all season for West Brom. And I think that's one criticism of Ishmael that you can definitely uh, level at him that persisting with Dean Garner and I suppose other players who are out of confidence as well uh, in the forward line is just not working. And I I don't really see why he keeps playing, to be quite honest. Um, But nonetheless, Derby, 
they're giving a good old go of staying up, aren't they? I don't want to give any airtime to the conversation about Derby staying up, Justin, just because, quite frankly, I don't think it's worth having that conversation until yeah. after January when mm. you know what kind of state they're in. But West Brom, two points off the top two now, obviously having a game in hand now. Still not too bad in the grand scheme of things, really, is it? But uh, they desperately need a striker in January, don't they? Perhaps, maybe specifically, a big American striker. <laughs> it will help, won't it? Josie Altador might be available. Now <laughs> <laughs> um, no, You're obviously right. I think you're holding your breath for West Brom until they bring in a striker because you don't know how good they are because they create a lot of chances. We know that. Um, we know that from their XG. We know that from seeing them. Um, and the quality chances they create are very good as well. But you just can't really pass a proper judgment on them until they get someone who can put the ball in the back of the net because they defend really well. Um, out of possession, they're a very good side, a very good pressing side. It's literally just putting the ball in the back of the net and it is frustrating to having to keep saying it, but it's an issue that hasn't been resolved for pretty much... If you take the first um, first month of the season out of the equation, West Brom have been quite average going forwards um, or, or at least scoring goals. The time, the time stopped on West Brom um, until they bring in a forward they probably need another forward probably need two forwards I think well they've only conceded one goal in six games uh, prior to this so yeah. <laughs> it's clear where the problems lie isn't it Justin let's move on to Borough's 2-0 win over Forest. we said before the game that we expected it to be tight because we thought both were at similar levels and both going very well in their own ways in the end it wasn't really that at all was it Borough were very comfortable here it was a very comfortable game for Borough. I think it lent more towards um, how good they were out of possession. Again, I was talking about West Brom then, about um, how they are out of possession. But I think this Borough side under Wilder um, probably impressed me, have impressed me the most um, when it comes to playing without the ball. They're organised in their press. Everything's unified and in tandem, which is what we saw with Sheffield United. Um, and Sheffield United were, um, again, going to see them I thought they were one of the best teams um, in a division under Wilder and I think Wilder can can certainly get to that level with this Borough side because as I say the, the team how they played without the ball uh, you look at the Ryan Yates um, incident situation um, that was caused by Borough's, Borough's press they were they were very good they were clinical as well which, which Forrest weren't and it was a very good win for, for Wilder and Borough Justin, I'd happily do a podcast talking about Ryan Yates' own goal, dedicating oh, yeah. the whole thing to his own goal. <laughs> I mean, where do we even start with that? As far as own goals go, this was top quality, yeah. wasn't it? On the Chris Brass scale of comedy by kicking it against your own face, I'd give it a solid 6 out of 10. It was pretty good. Uh, I, I was wondering, actually, when, when I uh, first saw it, I was thinking... Was Samba maybe to blame there? Um, but mm. it, it wasn't at all. It was just an absolute clangor by Ryan Yates. Um, no one else can be blamed for it, really. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I was really impressed with Middlesbrough. I mean, they've been impressing me more and more every time I see them. And this was just another great performance. Four games without conceding now. 13 points from a possible 15. Chris Wilder doing a sensational job. And when you see how they've been doing recently, and I mean this with no disrespect to him, it's hard to believe this is the same team we saw under Neil Warnock, isn't mm -hmm. it? The players look full of confidence. Defensively, they're rock solid. They're now creating plenty of chances in games as well. They're a side to be feared, and it's even scarier when you keep in mind that they're more than likely to strengthen in January. But the Wild Revolution, Justin, it's going swimmingly well, isn't it? Well, we've said before, he very rarely makes teams poor, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. he, he improves every side. 
he manages um he makes them better and he leaves them in a much better place than when he found them um and and he's doing that with this butter side and we're seeing it in a very short space of time just what he can do um as 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 a coach as a manager because they were very average under warnock average was average it was okay it was nothing special um warnock probably wasn't getting the best out of them but you see with a little bit of tinkering and a little bit of organization as i say without the ball and with the ball as well just how good they are they're ruthless defensively and they're taking chances going forwards i thought sparar was was really good it's probably his best game for that i've seen him play anyway for borough so far um as i jones is looking very very comfortable at right wing back almost eradicating the need to recall jed spence which is quite interesting um but yeah there's there's not much to to really dislike about this wilder side at the moment i think they haven't pulled up any trees yet either you know they haven't really i don't think really got going under wilder which is as you say quite frightening mm. one player in particular is proving to be crucial for chris wilder is paddy mcnair who has long been one of our favorite players in the championship right. anti justin and is playing at the top of his game right now he is the kind of player that you just can't buy at this level isn't he because he should be playing in the Premier League and you hate this phrase Justin but there is no player it's more apt for he is a Rolls Royce player Justin's eye rolling as I say that but it's completely true he's the kind of player you build a team around and I think that is what Wilder is going to try to do isn't it he is the perfect Chris Wilder player and he's going to be so important to how Borough do in the long term. But let's talk Forrest, Justin. What did you think of them here? It just felt like an off day for Forrest. Um, I think missing Jed Spence and a a left wing back who was as capable as Jed Spence as going forward didn't help Forrest at all. I think they're a bit limited um, in possession, especially through the middle of the pitch. They lack the technical ability. I think the Ryan Yates own goal actually sums up perfectly. I don't know why Ryan Yates is taking the ball on the turn in that position because he's not that sort of player. Um, you want someone like James Garner, who's probably more adept at doing that in that position. Um, yeah, I just thought it was an off day. Um, but then again, had, had Zinconago taken that chance in the second half, it could have been a different story for Forrest. Um, it's very hard to, to pass judgment. They just weren't at the races. I think you're pretty much spot on there. I think... The Zinc and Argo chance was obviously massive, wasn't it? But you you hit the nail on the head with what you were saying about the wing-backs. They were missing Max Lowe and Jed Spence here. And those two have been so important to them because that's how Steve Cooper likes to play, isn't he? He likes mm-hmm. to get the wing-backs forward because they provide all the width. They were playing, I think it was Finn Back and Jack Holback, whose names I didn't realise were so similar before yeah, I said are. that sentence. Yeah. But <laughs> Back <laughs> and Colback just it didn't work at all. Um but we've been saying Forrest just need a striker in January, something that's reportedly a priority for them. On the basis of this, then you may say they need more than just a striker. However, we will point out is just Steve Cooper's second loss mm-hmm. in charge. So <laughs> can't be too harsh on them. Also a rare Yao Carvalho appearance, which seemed to oh, come yeah. completely out of nowhere. Hmm. Um, I, th- I think he did actually come off the bench in their last game as well. But someone I completely forgot was at Forrest. Another interesting point that Zande Silva came on and he's being sold in January. Mm, interesting. Very it, weird. It remind, it's a very good reminder that Forest have such a massive yeah. squad that uh, they'll just pull players out of nowhere every so often. <laughs> there was a crazy game between Huddersfield and Blackpool. It finished 3 2 to Huddersfield, who fell behind twice. It was also 1 all after three minutes and there was a red card in there to boot got to be said thank god it was a good game justin because the other three were all somewhat interesting in their own right beforehand and this one i was looking at thinking but yeah a good game and some good goals as well too yeah i think we've got to thank huddersfield for carrying us through this really 
bland festive period of football where we've barely had any games um they've made it quite chaotic and quite interesting for us but you're quite right there's some really good goals in in this game um i'm looking at the the josh bowler dribble for the jerry eights finish the jerry eights finish is so precise as well nichols has got no chance it's such a good goal um and and the, the danny ward header i'd argue that headers should be considered as goal of the season because the early ball in from harry toffolo is near perfect and there's the thumping header from Danny Ward arriving late on it as well. I think is yeah. As far as aesthetically pleasing goals go, I think that's better than a 30-yard dead ball shot. So you're saying that's a goal of the season contender? I'm not saying it is. But I'm saying they should be. I think headers get a bad rap, and I think headers should be considered in sort of their own category, if that makes sense. Okay, I can see what you mean. I, I've seen a lot of people praising the Toffolo cross. I don't think it's actually that good a cross because I yes. think. Danny, I think Danny Ward's header is that good. It makes the cross look good. Do you know what mm, I mean? Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, you're quite right, because it's probably a little bit behind Danny Ward, which is probably why he gets so much power on it, because he's, yeah. he's, got, to, yeah, he's got to run well, onto it. As, as, Ward's not scoring there unless he does exactly what he did. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. It's trying to trying to like, dumb it down in, in some ways is very difficult, but you're quite right. It does, it does make perfect sense. But then again... It was a very nice cross and he, he did do it again. Or Sorbel Thomas did it actually, didn't he, with Jordan Rhodes. There was a lot of good play in this game and um, I think you've, you've got to praise both sides for really making an effort um, to, to, to make things interesting this weekend. Yeah, well, Sorbel Thomas's goal, you mentioned it there. He played two one-twos off the back of each other. So I guess it was more of a one-two-three-four really, wasn't it? Instead mm. of a two one-twos, but... I'm getting myself confused. There's too many numbers I've just mentioned there. Um, hard to deny that Jordan Gabriel's red card for Blackpool wasn't a game-changing moment, isn't it? Blackpool were two on up at the time and it was just very silly, wasn't it? Already on a yellow, he pointlessly dives in and then sends Lewis O'Brien on his neck, basically. Um, but Justin Huddersfield now somehow back in the top six. They have obviously played more games than the rest of the teams in the division. Where do you think they need to strengthen in January? It's, a, it's an interesting question. I think it, when you look at Huddersfield, you automatically go towards the forward areas. So can you really rely on Danny Ward, Jordan Rhodes um, to, 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 to grab your goals? And, and you'd say no, but I think they'll be okay for the rest of the season because they're going to get a lot of um, a lot of supply from the likes of Thomas, Holmes, Toffolo, as we saw. Um, so really, I, I, I'd focus on trying to get another enforcer into midfield to play alongside Lewis O'Brien, um, someone who can can break up the play because Jonathan Hogg is, is getting older. He's picked up a couple of injuries this season and you can see that they really are missing him in that midfield because um, he brings that element of experience and control into, into, Huddersfield's, um, into Huddersfield's game. Um, so yeah, I'd say sort of a ball-winning enforcer into that middle. Quite hard to get um, because they do get quite expensive the older they get. Blackpool sit 13th, although I've played two more games than all the teams around them. Uh, there was also a long delay in this game after Tom Lees was knocked out, but he's said to be stable, which is good news, isn't it? The final game that we've actually got to talk about is Bournemouth v QPR, which at the time of recording is being played. We've got it on in the background, but to give us a full review on how that game went, here's Ryan from the future. Ooh, it's Ryan from the future. Um, well, it was a comfortable 1-0 win for Bournemouth. The interesting thing heading into this game was that QPR hadn't played for more than three weeks because of COVID. 
and whether that break would have an impact on them or not. Um, if this performance was anything to go by, then it certainly was. It was really lacklustre from Rangers. They barely troubled Mark Travers in the Bournemouth goal and were genuinely struggling to string together passes every time Bournemouth had the ball. They looked like they were going to do something. In fact, the only time QPR showed any fight was when they were actually fighting with the Bournemouth players right at the end, which led to Andre Dizel being sent off. Um, QPR fans will question the free kick that led to the goal. That did seem debatable, but... On the balance of play, Bournemouth completely deserved all three points and could have had more. Solanke and Anthony both missed really good chances. But first win in seven for Bournemouth. Scott Parker will be hoping that's the end of their poor run of results. And it was a bad day at the office for QPR. Now back to Ryan from the present. Thank you, Ryan, from the future, you handsome bastard. Right, after the break, we'll talk about some of the news in the Championship from the past few days. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast, and now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news and coronavirus. Uh, there hasn't been anything particularly new apart from games being called off. Eight were postponed in the Championship on Boxing Day, including Hall v Blackburn, which was called off two hours before kickoff, and that's bad isn't it just mm. in two hours before kickoff there needs to be serious questions as to why this game was called off so late because i mean that's embarrassing really isn't it you've got it's not like a weather postponement where yeah. you don't know it's happening everyone knows control. yeah exactly everyone knows there was going to be covid tests that day so why did it take so long for them to realize that hall didn't have enough players that's the question i'm asking um hall did say they had the testing at 10 30 which even I think is a bit late. But nonetheless, they said they told the EFL, but Blackburn didn't find out until midday. So what's been happening for an hour and a bit between that time? I, I just don't understand it. It's a two-hour mile round journey for Blackburn fans. There'll be loads of them who have forked out for a train, uh, petrol, and it all just seems to be because someone didn't pull their finger out. So I, I struggle to see how there's any excuse for this happening, and it needs to be looked into why this has happened and the EFL needs to make sure that it doesn't happen again because things like this it's taken the mickey isn't it Justin yeah you almost have to say not necessarily repercussions but there has to be some sort of punishment or um, some way of deterring teams from calling games off that late because as you say it's quite ridiculous especially when something's in your control like testing you know weather's postponement is a really good example of something being out of your control but when you are conducting tests on the day of the game get them done early, feedback to the club, uh, opposition club, feedback to the uh, the EFL, and you're good to go. You've done everything you can. Uh, I will point out, I, I'm not, I, I, everyone's obviously blaming Hall for this. I don't think you can necessarily completely blame Hall. It may have been the EFL who have been slapping on this, because if Hull have done the testing at 10.30 and told the EFL, that's what the chairman said, we'll have to take his word for it. If that's what's happened, then obviously someone at the AFL maybe, has uh, been slacking. But whether Hull are, you know, completely telling the truth, 
Um, we'll have to wait and see. But hopefully there's going to be some sort of an explanation. Blackburn have asked the EFL for an explanation about what happened. And uh, as we say, hopefully lessons will be learned and this doesn't happen again. Looking ahead to the next round of games, it does look a bit more promising at the time of recording. Three games have already been postponed and there may very well be more. But I have seen reports saying that teams who were previously struggling for players are now looking like they're in a better position. So hopefully we'll have more action to talk about in the next episode on New Year's Eve, Justin. In other news, Derby have had a rocky couple of weeks off the pitch haven't they after we told you that the expected completion of the takeover has now been pushed back to february one of the three interested parties has now pulled out american businessman chris kirchner has revealed his frustration at negotiations with the club's administrators are you disappointed justin not necessarily i think the other two parties that have been linked um obviously their previous owners of derby county they know the football club they know the city they know the the way uh, finances work um, in the AFL because they've been through it before um, so I'd trust them more so with Chris Kirchner not to say I wouldn't have been happy with Chris Kirchner um, but then again given his Twitter tirade after um, after he announced his his um, withdrawal of, of the bid I'm quite quite pleased that he's not in the running anymore yeah he did an interesting tweet where he called the former chairman Mel Morris uh, an F job um, yeah, which uh, fill in the F as you like, um, but yeah, the administrators have said they'll name a preferred bidder imminently. So we'll that was three keep, days ago. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. They've been saying that for quite some time, I think now. But we'll wait and see. Speaking of takeovers, the Hull Daily Mail say Akon Ilakali's. Oh, I struggled to say this guy's name. Akon. Ilakali's takeover of Hull is expected to be resolved in the coming days. Talks have been going on for a number of weeks now, but it sounds like some good news finally for Hull fans, Justin. Yeah, it's really good news. Um, we've mentioned before that they've been waiting a long time. Hopefully it, it happens a lot quicker than, than Derby's last three takeovers. Because um, obviously we say we get told a date and then it, it takes longer than it does. But hopefully the, the Alums go through with this sale because I know that in the past they've backed out of selling the club to to um to bidders so yeah hopefully this goes through and uh, hall fans can put that period of uncertainty behind them absolutely shall we do some transfer chat justin we'll Ooh. start with west brom i like the excited <laughs> <laughs> more of that please the telegraph says they're in talks to sign Daryl dk west brom this is uh they're in talks to sign Daryl dk online from orlando city with a view to a permanent deal dk of course worked with valor and ishmael at barnsley last season and did very well i'm quite excited about the idea of dk in this West Brom team, Justin, because we've said it millions of times, they miss a load of chances and could do with a big, strong target man who puts away those chances. DK fits the bill. Um, moving on, because we've spent enough time talking about West Brom and missing chances. The Sun says Brentford have made a new offer of 14 million for Forest ringer Brennan Johnson. However, the Telegraph says he's keen to carry on playing under Steve Cooper and also Forest don't want to sell. I think we spoke about this in the last episode, Justin, about how important it is Forest keep hold of Brennan Johnson. And I suppose as the offer keeps going up, you get more tempted, but it sounds like Forest are very keen to keep hold of him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the right thing to do. You saw against Borough that he was 
the only bright spot going forwards. He set up that Sinkanago chance that Sinkanago missed. Um, thought 14 million seems a bit low, but then you realise that he's only got 18 months left on his deal. Um, but I think this is a very good opportunity for Forrest this season to at least break into the playoffs. I don't think they can do that without Brennan Johnson in the side. Um, so if they sell them, I think they can kiss goodbye to the top six. Keep hold of him, they've got a chance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's move on to the Telegraph once again. They say West Ham are looking signed Bournemouth defender Lloyd Kelly. Um, I think Kelly going from Bournemouth, Justin, would be a massive, massive blow for them, wouldn't it? Yeah, we saw over the last sort of few few weeks actually. Um, I know he's come back into the side, but when he was outside, they looked desperately average defensively at times, especially in in certain situations. Kelly brings a lot of balance to that back four. Um, he makes the back four um, tick in, in certain ways, especially bringing the ball out versatile as well. So if he needs to fill in a left back, he's always a very good. He's a very good left back actually. He's probably one of the best left backs in the league. Um, quite quite funnily and quite arguably one of the best centre-halves in the league as well um, so yeah I think him leaving Bournemouth again would be would be quite damaging to their top two bid yeah I, I completely agree I think he's so important to the way that they play in terms of Scott Parker wanting to play the ball out because um, I think he is probably one of if not the best ball playing defenders in the division he's absolutely superb defensively and I'm sure he will end up in the Premier League at some point whether it's with Bournemouth West Ham or some other Premier League side but he's a, a top top player I don't want to see him leave Bournemouth and I think they'd make a it'd be a very big mistake for them mm-hmm. to let go of him as well um I mean we keep saying this about all the players we don't want to leave the championship Justin but uh, uh obviously it does carry some weight with more than others uh, away from transfer news and Huddersfield have come under fire from their own fans after partnering with betting company BK8 now some people may remember BK8 as the as the uh the company which partnered with Norwich mm-hmm. at the start of the season, but Norwich then cut ties with them after a huge backlash from Norwich fans. The reason for that is because BK8 like to advertise. Um, how do I put this? They like to advertise using scantily clad ladies. Um, and considering Huddersfield have just partnered with the campaign group Her Game, Her Game 2, um, it seems like a bit of hypocrisy here, Justin. Yeah, it's not the best PR move. Uh, in any way, shape, or form, I think it's quite yeah, it's quite disappointing. Her game to do some really good work, really, really good work, and it just seems like a kick in the face to that um, campaign, as you say. Very disappointing. I hope they see sense. Norwich did it, but it doesn't take a genius just to do a quick Google search, does it? Come on. I, I mean, if you honestly, if you search BK8 and news into Google now, you'll find that story come up. So. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how they haven't researched this beforehand, but nonetheless. And finally, according to The Sun, Blackburn's owners are offering a £10 million bonus to their squad if they get promoted to the Premier League this season. The amount of money each player gets will be based on how much they've played. So if you play the full 46 games, you'll get seven hundred grand, which isn't bad, is it? And then obviously you'll be playing in the Premier League as well, so it'll be even better. Uh, Justin, it's time for this week's game. It's not the Craig Bryson pub quiz. It's not Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. It's the return of, for the second time ever, Scott High or Ryan Lowe. They switched on amongst you. you may remember that this was actually called Scott High or Jason Lowe. That's because no one else was called Lowe before... Uh, Ryan Lowe was appointed but he's now been appointed so the game's had a rebranding after two games <laughs> it's essentially higher or lower I'm going to give Justin six statements all he's got to do is guess whether that statement <coughs> is Scott High or Jason Lowe 
compared to the previous number. The number you're going to start on, Justin, is 25. The question is, the highest number of assists in a championship season. Is it Scott High or Ryan Lowe? Then 25. It's Ryan Lowe. No one in there. No one's going to hit 25 assists. That's unreal. Pablo Hernandez was a creative machine and he didn't hit 25 assists. No way. Out of interest, who do you think has got the most assists in the season? Um, Ever. Probably Peter Whittingham. Is Adele Trapped? In 2011, he got 21. So it was indeed Ryan Lowe. It is quite close, isn't (laughs) it? Um, So it was Ryan Lowe. Justin, you're absolutely right. You've got one out of one so far. Your new number is 21. Next up is the number of England caps that Scott Parker has. Higher or lower than 21? Wow. Wow, he had that spell under Roy Hodgson where he played pretty much every game in between like 2011 and 2013. I'm going to say higher. Scott High? Scott High. It's Ryan Lowe. He's got 18 caps. So you've won for two so far, Justin. Your new number is 18. Your next one is this. The number of teams have only spent two seasons or fewer in the championship since 2004. Scott High or Ryan Lowe than 18? That's quite... Two seasons or more? Or two seasons, two seasons or... or fewer. Two seasons or fewer. Um... I've not got enough time to count them, uh, so I'm going to say low. Oh, it no. Is, it is Ryan Low. Yeah, that's why I'm so happy with that. Yeah, I'm very certain. <laughs> 11 teams have spent just two seasons or fewer in the championship. So your new number is 11. You've got two out of three so far, Justin. Next one is this. The highest transfer fee in millions that anyone has ever paid for Patrick Bamford. Nine million. So you saying Ryan Lowe? Yeah. No, no. Scott High. So confident. Scott High. Twelve million. Leeds paid a ridiculous amount of money for him. Leeds paid seven million. That was the highest fee anyone's ever paid for (laughs) Patrick Bamford. So it was Ryan Lowe again. That's four on on the bounce, Justin. That'd been Ryan Lowe. Uh, You've got two out of four so far. Can you get more than three? I'd say, actually, uh, yeah, more than three. I'd say that's a good barometer of a championship expert for me. Um, So your current number is seven. Your next question is this. The number of years the current longest-serving championship manager has spent at his current club. Uh, Oh, my God. (laughs) I get flustered sometimes. (laughs) Has um, a championship manager spent more than seven years at his current club? Well, I, I can't even think of any managers. Um, can't think of any managers. <laughs> no, I can't. Uh, trying to think. Ishmael, Silver, Parker. Um, they, all uh, of them <laughs> became managers in the summer. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say Scott High because we've not had a Scott High. It's Ryan Lowe again. I, have you done any research this week or... <laughs> <laughs> the high, the longest serving championship manager is Tony Mowbray four years at Blackburn of course I don't know why I don't know why I thought someone's managed seven years Gareth Ainsworth's the only yeah, one I could think of I was going to say eight years is a long time to be the manager of the same club um, your final one is this Justin it's uh, the number four that you're on your final question is the number of Russian players to have ever played in the championship is it Ryan Lowe or Scott Higher than four um, 
I can't even think of any Russian players that have played in the championship. So I'm going to say Ryan Lowe. The number of Russian players to ever play in the championship is one. Who was it? Can you not think of it? Big um, Reading striker? Pogrebniak? Yeah, only Russian really? to have ever played in the championship, yeah. That's amazing. It's a fantastic stat. I suppose yeah. it doesn't really happen. You don't really see many Russians go abroad anyway, really, do you? True. Um, and he was obviously came down with Reading, didn't he, when they were in the mm. Premier League and had loads of money. So, yeah, Pavel Pogrebniak, the only one... Only Russian to have ever played in the championship. So you got three out of six, Justin, which is all right. I'd say it's probably below average. It's mid-table. I'll take mid-table. Mid-table. There we go. Well, well done, Justin, to you. And uh, thank you, listeners, for tuning into the second tier. Obviously, it's a a short one because there isn't much to talk about. Um, I thought I'd take this moment to ask the listener to give us a rating, Justin, because I say this every time we do this. We don't uh, ask you guys to do it very often, but we really appreciate it and it helps us grow massively. So if you take the time uh, to give us a rating on whatever um, podcast supplier you listen to or you use, um, then it goes a long way to helping us grow as a podcast. And we would very much appreciate it. Give us a review as well if you're on Apple Podcasts because that would go down with us Uh, very well. um, Our next episode will be New Year's Eve which is a, quite a frightening thought, isn't it? Just mm. in the final day of the year, the final podcast of the year. And uh, it'll be 2022. So we'll be back then, ladies and gentlemen, to give you a roundup of all the games that are actually going ahead on the couple of days before New Year's Eve. So we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I have been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.